Coming up next, the bookening concludes its epic two-part series on The Old Man and the Sea. everybody, welcome to The Bookening. Now, let's get right into the story of what happened here. I should say, first of all, my name is Nathan Albers, and I'm your humble obedient host. We've got Brendan over there, scholar who's a baller of reading, and Jake over there. I should let you name check. I think that's what they call it on a radio show, when you let somebody, you say who they are, and then you make sure and associate their voice for the name. Oh, yeah, hey. That's Brandon, scholar, reading, all that stuff. He sounds like that. He's Ghost Brandon. He's died somewhere. I got hit by a baggage or something. Hit by a baggage. Then we got Jake, the pastor who's a master of reading. How are you doing, Jake? Fine. Good. Beastmaster Funky Town. Beastmaster Funky Town himself. That's right. Cannot let that die. Here's the thing. We did another episode on The Old Man in the Sea. Mm-hmm. And in an ironic twist of fate, it was really good. We were really excited about this episode. It was a big catch that got devoured by the shark. It really was. Like Our sound equipment died halfway through, and so we lost it. We lost the whole conversation. But we felt really good about this conversation. It was a, it was like we'd 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 hit the marlin, yeah, of of the good literary conversation about old man in the sea. And then, as Jake said, it was devoured by the sharks of Brandon's incompetence. Yeah, it was my fault. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Nathan. No, it wasn't really the sharks of Brandon's incompetence. It was the sharks of I don't <laughs> even know. Maybe my incompetence. It was the sharks of our recording equipment's incompetence. I don't know who you want to blame it on. You could blame it on. I'm going to go ahead and split the blame between myself, Brandon, Ben Solzer. I come out clean. Yep. I, I take the least amount of blame. Yes. <laughs> Although you were in the primary position to notice that it was that our equipment had died. So. Yeah, but I'm not used to having to do that. But you're not. Yes, but you're also not usually responsible for that. Ben Solzer had set up the equipment in such a way that you were responsible for it. And I take some blame because I did not bother to move the rearrange it in such a way that i would be responsible and if i had been responsible i would have probably noticed it at i least. would have noticed it because i'm more used to you made a conscious decision to let it ride at the start i made a decision to let it, it ride which i've done before and has been fine yeah and saved us some time at the top and i don't know that i really regret it might do it again but what we really need need is you know what let's blame the equipment because let's do let's that. blame the studio Let's blame the studio, which isn't done. You mean the lack thereof? The lack thereof, the studio that we've been working on for over a year now. If you wanted to hear how Jake escaped from Seven Arms of the Octopus, well, you never will. He just did. I told that story last time and it got devoured by the shark. Right. If you wanted to hear a great discussion about the old man in the sea, though, well, you're in luck because we are about to have that same discussion (laughs) again. There's nothing more heartening or fun or exciting than attempting to replicate something good that you've already done. Yeah, it's yeah. so exciting and fun. No, but actually... Except I'm, for our live show. Yeah, no, our and live if show. if anybody wants to bring us to do that, we are willing to do that again. We are more than happy to do our live show as many times, and, and we'll switch it up a little bit, and it'll be great. Yeah, I mean, if you've already listened to the live show, which we released, maybe not a good marketing tool for our live show, I guess, but if you've listened to it, if you have us, it'll be different enough that... You'll like it. Mm-hmm. You'll get some new stuff out of it. And you'll, there'll be a Q&A and stuff. Maybe a dancing bear. 
I say that I say sarcastically that it's heartening to do this again. And of course, it being sarcasm, I mean the opposite. It's not heartening to do it again. But don't you worry, folks. We're going to do great. We're going to have fun. I don't actually remember the conversation that well. We're just going to have a new conversation, and we'll probably hit some of the same stuff that we talked about last time. But what we're not actually going to do is try and recreate what we did last time because that wouldn't be organic or fun or interesting. We're just going to have a conversation about Old Man in the Sea. So put the past behind you. Jake, take a note from The Lion King. Hakuna Matata. Hakuna Matata. That'll be out soon. That will be out soon. And maybe we'll review it. I bet we wouldn't, wouldn't shock me if we reviewed it on our fine podcast, Sanity at the Movies. Oh, no, the airplane indicating baggage check. Part of the show where we talk about our baggage vis-a-vis Old Man and the Sea. Brandon, what baggage did you bring to this book? My baggage yes, that I brought to this book yes. was that I read it once as an undergrad. My history with Hemingway is I read some of his short stories in high school. So The Killers and Hills Like White Elephants. I liked him just fine, but it wasn't enough to draw me into the bigger Hemingway um, what orbit. <laughs> The bigger, I didn't, yeah, the bigger, orbit. the larger Hemingway orbit. And then, in other words, I didn't read all his books in high school. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> I did read for him the Bell Tolls in class in, uh, as an undergrad, and that got me to read. The Hemingway of Life. The Hemingway of Life. That yes. would have been a good way to say that. The Hemingway of Life. There we go. It wasn't enough to draw you yeah. into the Hemingway of Life. Yeah, it didn't draw me into the Hemingway of Life, Nathan. Right. Um, well, that, that was the like joke. It didn't make you get on a boat and troll Cuba for looking for yeah i didn't go hunting for marlins or anything like that but i did read for him the bell tolls as an undergrad and the sun also rises stuff like that and then i read the old man in the sea Mm -hmm. liked it but it was a little different than what i was expecting from hemingway and so at that time it didn't i thought it was a fun story a good fable and that was it that's my that's my baggage with this book didn't change my life no Mm -hmm. deep baggage with hemingway in general for me there you go there you go Jake, same question. Not a whole lot of history with Hemingway. Read Braving the Bell Tolls with you guys. One of the first books we four ever or five did. years ago. A few, few, few months into the bookening, we did that. And I've read Hemingway's short stories. I find his writing style to be fantastic and enjoyable, and his outlook on life to be immature and weak-minded. And I think it's it's probably worth saying that with contacts with the Old Man in the Sea, I bring no. Deep sea fishing context. Bring a little knowledge of 1950s baseball. So I know, right. I know Joe DiMaggio pretty well. It's about it. That's about all I bring. I've not done any deep sea fishing. I don't like to fish in general. Brandon, you a, a, a fisherman? I grew up fishing. We would fish, uh, especially off the lakeside. We would do a lot of cat fishing growing up. And um, I still like to take my boys fishing occasionally here at Lake Monroe. Even though you're not really supposed to eat the fish. My brother and I will go fishing. I got some pictures of a big catfish Jeremy caught once. So it's a pastime we enjoy. How big was it? It's a couple feet. Pretty good size. So yeah, we enjoy fishing. It's usually because of the camaraderie, mm-hmm. but we're not, we're not like avid fishermen, but we'll do it to hang out and just... Drink some There's beer. another friend we have that I'll go fishing with, uh, Aaron Walker mm-hmm. here at church. He and I go fishing some together. It's a good way to hang out with him. Huh. So, yeah. I can't remember yep. the last time I've been fishing. I used to do it quite a bit. I've never intentionally taken myself fishing. I was taken fishing. My grandpa was a fisherman. And my, my grandpa lived on the dock of, a, he had like a dock that was on a big lake. And so we'd go fishing there. But Well, my parents and grandparents have a pond. There were definitely times in the summer where I think more than anything, I just wanted an excuse to go sit and do nothing mm-hmm. in a nice, peaceful, restful spot. 
surrounded by a tree line so I could get in the little John boat and have an excuse to go sit out on the lake. Yeah, when I think about fishing, that's what I think about. That's the kind of fishing I've done. I'm very, I guess it's worth saying, unfamiliar with whatever kind of strategy goes into the type of fishing for your life sort of stuff that oh yeah that these guys like, yeah it's very different i've watched you know five minutes of a program on nature or one of those kinds of channels i don't even understand what you do like it's something i know very little about like how do you attract a big fish like and how do you reel it in and why can't you just reel it in and what's <laughs> why what what makes the line break what makes the line not break those are things that i know nothing about at all I like to watch Shark Week sometimes, or I did when I was, when I had cable, which would have been probably 15, 20 years ago, right. but I still have fond memories of watching Shark Week. Right. Put the chum in the water and you get those sharks. I don't like animals that aren't mammals. I, I really like mammals a lot. Don't like insects, don't like fish, don't like birds, don't like reptiles. I understand they're part of God's creation and I should enjoy them on some level, but I don't. Actually. So you would not have had the mutual respect for the marlin that... No, to me, the marlin oh, would just be an alien monstrosity that's gross and slimy, and I don't even like to contemplate eating. So the beautiful iridescence of its No, I don't skin don't and... much enjoy. I mean, I can go to an aquarium and enjoy myself for an hour, especially with the big, cool fish like whales and stuff like that. But when I watched, whales I watched, are I watched Blue Planet, and it had they they showed they to went like way deep down. You know those creepy, the, yeah, the scary guys at the bottom, those creepy demonic looking. Mm-hmm. Like angler fish and stuff. Yeah, the little like the, the teeth and the luminescent lights on their heads yep. and stuff. Like that's some freaky stuff. Like yep. I don't know that a a designer on a movie, you know, on some buggy alien kind of movie, could come up with something more creepy than some of those creatures. Like that's the stuff of my nightmares. Yeah, those guys are are super creepy, and you can't bring them up because if you do, they explode. Their bodies, they have to live at that pressure. Yeah. I mean, it's cool. I enjoy watching something like that, but I kind of enjoy it in the same way I enjoy watching a horror movie. It it kind of gives me the willies, like, and it's kind of cool to contemplate that our creator, God, made all this stuff basically just for him to enjoy because we've been thousands of years and that we're only now discovering some of this stuff. Yeah, but for thousands of years, he's been enjoying it. Yep. And what kind of he did it because he can weird creatures are (laughs) at the center of the earth swimming in that magma or yeah. whatever you know it's it's fun to extremophiles yep <sighs> that's the thing you can look it up extremophiles i have no idea what that means i assume the, it's the, the, these creatures that can live like in or near magma or like in in the upper atmosphere like almost outer space are we not recording no we are <laughs> to lose <laughs> that was a true, a true existential crisis <laughs> well we haven't really got into anything yet it would just be completely demoralizing this would be a good time to catch it at least yeah yeah it would still be demoralizing right i'll leave that in folks we just had a we weren't recording scare which we are now very paranoid about because of what happened but we're recording so all is well extremophiles jake anything more to say about the extremophiles no they're just amazing like where they can survive They're, they're shockingly you would never dream that they could they're like these they're tiny little guys and stuff like that but they can survive in all kinds of crazy environments. Yeah, I was just thinking about that the other day. Like, why do people say this or that planet could support life? Life, can- the style of planet that uh, is suitable to Earth couldn't support, couldn't be supported there. But yeah, why? Why would we assume that aliens would have our biology? Like, maybe they just live on that kind of planet, Brandon. Maybe that's a deep thought that no one's ever thought before. No. <laughs> and why was I? 
thinking that. I, I don't think know. because I was on some kind of a streaming service and I went past the movie Independence Day. And I did not yeah. watch it, but I was just like, oh yeah, Independence Day. And then my brain made a series of leaps and I got to having that prosaic thought about alien life that I had. How do I feel about Hemingway? Brandon, I'm glad you asked that. The way I feel about Hemingway is I really liked him when I was 20. I thought he was really cool. I think I discovered him in my late teens, early 20s. Read The Killers, Red Hills with White Elephants, really like his, liked his short fiction. Still do like his short fiction for the most part. His philosophy of manhood, his philosophy of the meaning of life, and certainly his philosophy of women are all, shall we say, deeply problematic. Or Ooh, yeah. maybe a better word would be deeply repugnant, terrible, awful, just bad. I mean, there's something kind of resonant about the whole grace under pressure thing, and I'm sure we'll talk about that. Well, this this is the best version of that. Yeah, this is of... the best distillation of his philosophy, and certainly the best way to present it, the best best presentation of his philosophy, the most likable, the le- least least problematic, the least. Well, least it's just repugnant. good. Which is good. Let's just say it. What's that? I said it's just good. Let's just say it. Yeah, it's good. But this book is very good. Well, let's talk about that. Let's okay. talk about that, guys. All right, let's do it. The Old Man in the Sea sucks. I found it thoroughly boring. No, I'm just kidding. I liked it. I said that for somebody. We'll talk about this next week. Somebody was had some thoughts about the fact that I said Of Mice and Men was kind of boring. But we're going to talk about that next week in a spe- very special episode, <sighs> BSC. But let's talk about The Old Man and the Sea. Let's do it. Let's do it. So Hemingway does have a terrible philosophy. Nowhere more dramatically presented more poorly than in... The first book we did, For Whom the Bell Tolls, which you can listen to our episodes about that. It has a very sexually submissive woman that's just a complete fantasy character in it. And that was probably the most obnoxious part of it. But he's also got this this kind of existential thing. I don't know. He, he, he was the one that famously defined courage as grace under pressure. This book is obviously all about that, about just accepting fate and about being graceful and courageous in the face of it. Do we like that? Do we not like that? Do we agree with that as Christians? What do we think? Well, we don't have to go as far as Hemingway does. In the discussion that where we talked about this last time, the lost episode, mm-hmm. the Marlin. It, the Marlin. We'll just call it the Marlin. In the, the Marlin, Marlin. In the Marlin, we we actually got to this question by talking, comparing Old Man in the Sea to Steinbeck mm-hmm. and talking about how the difference between them is Steinbeck in a in a short story like uh of mice and men he's spelling everything out for you he mm-hmm. spends a lot of time spelling everything out for you this is the point these are the themes this is the these are the types these are the image this is the imagery that i'm he just shoves your nose in it and so over and over over and over again we have a saying that we like to to use when we're writing when we're doing stories or whatever work, like me and jake or or whoever yeah. horn we say we want to give the audience two plus two. We don't want to give them four. We want to respect the audience enough to, if we give them two and two, they'll they'll make four on their own. Yeah, let them connect the dots emotionally or with a plot point. It's like when you watch a bad movie, they will flash back every time to just remind you, like, here's what happened to the character. Here's some information that you need to remember. Mm-hmm. And it's so much more powerful often. When you don't flash back, but you just trust the audience to remember, oh, yeah, that thing happened in a different place in the movie or on a different episode of this TV show. I can put two and two together <laughs> or remember this this character had this happen, and that's why this is hitting them this way. And a lot of times when you make the audience or allow the audience to do that emotional math. Yeah, the, I saw a bad example of this. Like, Pixar is generally okay. Yeah, they are. 
But A Bug's Life, we were I, my kids were watching it yesterday. Well, that would have been one of the very first Pixar films. Yeah, yeah. It was just one one scene in particular. It's the very beginning where they're introducing the princess, and these two characters are talking about the princess. And the other character says, oh, yes, Princess so-and-so. She's stressed right now because of the things that are happening. Right. And this is like, these people wouldn't say that because they both know it already. It's yeah. not like she has to introduce the princess. Right. So. If you give was, the audience, instead of that's giving the audience saying two plus two equals four. Here are the yeah. elements. Here's what they mean. If you just let some things happen that maybe illustrate, the words also ties into show, not tell. It ties into a lot of things. But if you just simply allow the audience to put it together, oh, the yeah. princess is stressed because of X, Y, and Z, yeah. that will be more emotionally impactful for you as a viewer. It stood out because Pixar in general is good. Yeah, they're yeah. very good at that kind so. of thing. How, how this relates to what I want to say about your original question yes. is that Steinbeck is like, the answer is four. Mm-hmm. Right. Two plus two equals four. So does one plus one plus two, and so does one plus one plus one. Two times two, also four. And if you're four what is math the number. Is, let me introduce the concept of math. Yeah. Let me explain addition. In in Hemingway is just like he loves to give you two plus two, or to hint that the equation is two plus two mm-hmm. for you to figure out that the equation is two plus two, and the answer is four, mm-hmm. and. That's one of the things, especially in a in a novella or a shorter story, that really helps it be powerful and simple. But, you know, I'm saying all this stuff, feeling like I'm rehashing this awesome conversation that we had. Well, you, I mean, you are. <laughs> in, in, in order to say one thing, which is that Hemingway's outlook on life doesn't get too much in the way in this story that you can't come away with some really great... Right. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, all he's doing is he's depicting a man struggling against the forces of nature to do his job and Mm. to provide for himself. It's a beautiful fight and it's a beautiful thing that he does. And it is grace under pressure and it is courage. The the fact that Hemingway takes this lesson and then goes out literally and kills himself because it's all just fighting against the wind is not something that has to infect how you read this particular novella. Right. Because there's a way to read it with faith and with an understanding of God and the way that God orders the world that is actually pretty great and pretty beautiful. Right. Yeah. I feel like Jake just gave us the like Cliff Notes version of the conversation we had. Conversation well, that's we had. what I do. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> suck. I mean, it's, that's what we said. That's the thesis of what we said. You know, let's just lean into it. Let's let's remember for people this awesome conversation <laughs> that we had because it was great. Yeah, let's I mean, describe this Marlin. It was iridescent, and maybe this will just be a short episode because of it. But that's what happens. No, right? it's yeah. And so, but yeah, it's just that's the Cliff Notes version of what we said. I mean, so we we started by talking about somehow we got into Steinbeck versus. Hemingway, you said something in particular in yours where you were talking about... Well, we paired them together. It wasn't a somehow kind of thing. We did them together because they're like two classic novellas. Yeah, and so we wanted to compare and contrast these things. That was part of the fun of just doing two novellas this month by two iconic but very different authors from the same time period. So we talked about the difference between the the ways they approach the metaphors and imagery. And like you were saying, Steinbeck gives us this fable that is very, very straightforward and one-dimensional. Right. And so even the garden at the end with a snake, all this stuff, this biblical overtones is just very in your face, direct, and there's not much meat to chew on beyond mm-hmm. what's there. And with Hemingway, it deals more with like the poetics of this 
And so there's symbolism there. There's the sharks definitely are supposed to symbolize and be a metaphor for something. Right. But what we were what we said is that it begins to lose its magic as soon as you try to start parsing it and taking right. it apart. And so that's a big difference between Steinbeck and Hemingway is that Steinbeck demands that you do it because he's doing it for you. Right. While Hemingway, as soon as you tr- start to try and tease all that stuff out, it begins to lose something of. So as soon as you begin to try and say anything beyond that, this is just Homeric. We use the word Homeric. We did use it a lot. It's yeah. a very Homeric story yep. in the sense that it's about courage and valor and the glory of this man and the sadness of his realizing he is no longer a hero because he has the lions on the beach. He has these baseball figures that he looks up to, mm-hmm. and those are supposed to contrast who he is now as an old man dying. Right. You have the young man who's like his disciple. So you have the biblical overtones there as well. There's a part where you literally have like nails in the hand, right? So he has this Christ-like sacrifice that he's going through as he's approaching the end of his life. You have the disciple that's looking with sorrow on the death of this old man mm-hmm. and the loss of his glory days. You have the glory of the Homeric, like the arm, the arm wrestling match that took literally a day and right. a night. So all these things that are there, but Hemingway doesn't like start piecing them together in such a way where it feels like just allegory or fable. It it has the sense of realness to it, but also then the metaphorical quality of poetry as well. Well, he does what great poetry does and what great uh, two plus two-ism does, which is he, he just gives it to you. He just presents it and he lets you make those connections. So Brandon yeah. can go as deep as he wants and he can talk about the Christ-like allegory and this or that. But it's precisely because Hemingway left it open for us. Yeah, and yeah. so there are all sorts of interpretations of this. Some people see it as his career, a metaphor for his career. Mm-hmm. And I know that made you like it less right. when I mentioned that. <laughs> he was always trying to wrestle that great American novel. But and, the point is, is there's not just a yeah. one-to-one relationship between it and any direct meaning, because that's not the point. Well, and when right. you let, when you allow for your audience to be smart and you allow for them to do the work, it just makes it something, I mean, one of the things we've talked about before is or, or keeping the monster off screen in a movie. You know, as long as the monster in your horror movie is off screen, your imagination can, can imagine what to you is the scariest possible thing. The second, every horror movie always has a crummy third act. Most Stephen King books have crummy third acts. It's just a really hard thing to do to write that great third act because as soon as you find out what who is Pennywise the clown? What is he really? What kind of creature is he? Like it instantly loses its mystique because it's what as, as long as you're imagining like this is the most frightening thing that I can think of, and as long as you're allowed to do that, it it's really potent. And I think great poetry does that, and I think great parables do that, great fables do that. They don't actually draw the conclusions for you because you will bring your own life to it, actually. And it, and it's meant, it's designed to do that. It's designed to allow you to bring what's most potent to you. And that's a really difficult thing to teach people that that's okay. Yeah. Because like with students, oh, I gave the example, what did I give the example of? Oh, there was this poem, uh, The Supernatural Love by Gertrude Schnockenberg that I read with some students. And they were really, they thought that at the end that they had gotten all this meaning and they were trying to figure it out and piece it together like poetry, some sort of riddle. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem is poetry is not a riddle. Poetry is getting at these feelings and experiences that we all share in common that sometimes are really difficult to articulate in any other way than poetry. Right. And so it's about this father and this daughter and how their relationship reflects the relationship God has to us, God has to his father. and the This poem is about this, you mean? Yeah, that's what the poem's about. Yeah. And that really is just all it's about. Right. But it gives weight and depth to that and makes us feel it. And that with the students is confusing because they're not used to thinking that way about imagery and stuff that Mm -hmm. it makes us feel that reality. 
And that's what poetry and stuff like this does. It makes you feel the reality of an old man facing the end of his life when he used to be full of strength and valor. Right, which we all relate to in different yeah. ways, depending on what our job is, where we're at in life. And that can and bother people because they want it to mean something deep. They feel like it needs to mean something deeper than that. The way to reshape your mindset about it is that is isn't that in and of itself is a deep way to think about it. It takes it a step beyond that too. What it, what it actually does is it says these life and death struggles are happening all around you. Yes. And you don't you don't even know it. And so if you think about the conceit of this story, it's as simple as a guy and his wife are sitting down at a restaurant in a bay on vacation and they look out and they see some fish bones on the side of a ship and they wonder what that's all about. And yeah. this is the life and death story behind that led up everything that led up to the fish bones on the ship that this guy and his wife are sort of musing about, don't even understand the waiter who's trying to explain it to them and think, oh, I didn't know sharks got to be so big. Yeah. Right. It's right? as like, pointed out in our last episode, it's that Marxian thing of who was the little boy that put your iPhone together in some third world factory? Yeah. You know, what is the story? What is the sweat and the blood that yeah. went into this thing? That we're you walking through a granted. world of, yeah, of stories of sweat and blood and tears that we're all taking for granted. These struggles for life and death that for this old man, this yeah. was the, you know, the life and death struggle of yeah. his, of his life. Right. One you know, favorite. his whole yeah. life is symbolized in this fight. This was the fight of his life. This was a question of, can he call on his old strength? Will he survive? Will he make it out? Will he be able to haul in the fish? Will they make it all the way in? And, you know, into the, to the casual passerby, it's fish bones, cu curious bones on the side of a ship. Right. And, One of the most powerful examples I've had of this was recently, I don't remember where I read this, but about the Christmas factories in China where they produce all of our Christmas ornaments and stuff. Mm -hmm. And how many of those workers get cancer because of like the spray paint and stuff from these just awful situations of these factories with poor ventilation and stuff and just how horrible it is to work with all the tinsel and the skin irritations wow. and all the stuff that they get so that we can have our Christmas decorations. And so, so that your three-year-old <laughs> girl can have a, a little plastic bobble that she says, ah, and puts on a tree. Yeah, and all and the pain knocks off and, and agony it. and... Right poor wages and long hours and torn apart families and just it's 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 eye-opening to right. realize that about our culture what people would generally then respond well then i want a book that makes that clear and straightforward to me oh. right they want that to be the meaning of it it's like no but that's that kind of is the meaning of it but you can also then go read you could go read the jungle which is a really bad book mm. But that might be the, or you can go read, uh, what's that? Uncle Tom's Cabin, right. which is also a pretty bad book. It is, yeah. Well, just think of the power of the old man in the sea and the simple conceit of, I mean, just think of like how, where did the idea come from? I bet it came from sitting in a bay and seeing, a, you know, some fish bones on the side of a ship or something like that and saying, I wonder what the story behind that is. I think I'll tell that story and make it as compelling and awesome as possible. But then what you have to love about Hemingway is I think nine times out of 10, like if, if we were going to write this, we would start with the fish bones and be like, have people, maybe somebody would muse about the fish bones and then we'd go into the story and then we'd come back to the fish bones. Hemingway is willing to take that point, which is prof a profound one, and just kind of flip it in at the end. And it's there and it's not like he completely throws it away, but he's willing for it to... to to be like a minor little motif that, you know, it's like that little melody at the end. It doesn't ever get a full statement. If, if this was an orchestra piece, there's not like a full statement of this, of this orchestral theme. It's just, yeah, the flute takes it and does a little thing and it redefines the entire piece. 
Right. Know, if if I don't know whether my metaphor is working or not, but it's you know what I mean. Fine, yeah. yeah, like I said, take the simplicity, or what, like I was about to say, take the simplicity of that idea and compare it to what Steinbeck did in Of Mice and Men. Precisely. What's that story? Well, that story is the story of two guys, but one's really smart and the other is sort of retarded. They're connected to each other and we don't really know why, but then they have to go and they have to work and then guy is always causing trouble and then eventually the smart guy is going to have to kill the dumb guy. Like, And in that sense, he tries to give it that little ironic twist at the end, but it just completely fails. Yeah, he actually tries for the same twist, and it's stupid. Yeah, because you're just like, why would they were just there? They saw everything that happened. They, they know exactly. They what's they, those they were guys. with the old man. They they were in a yeah. helicopter watching him, and now yeah. they're worried about the fish bones. Yeah, they're like, uh, yeah. well, what, what's getting that old man there? <laughs> yeah, that that would be the equivalent. Somebody's <laughs> yeah. like in the boat with the old man. <laughs> yes, just following. They're him. watching him do all this stuff. They're watching the ropes dig into his hands. Right. I mean, that's one of the p- better images from this book. Or, Absolutely, like the skin just rubbing from his back. hands, holding that rope. Yeah. yeah. Hey, they're watching all this, and then they get back to shore, and they're like, "What's eating that guy?" <laughs> <laughs> hey, <Biff>. what's, <laughs> what's he so torn up? Why is he so tired? <laughs> and you're just, huh? <laughs> well, because Steinbeck couldn't trust his readers to put two and two together, he gave them four, and so he created a book that, to me, is more about what was happening in America at that time. It's very specific, right? Like the the yeah. moral of the book is social conditions for a certain working class kind of person were bad. At that time, but yeah. so Hemingway's writing that same book too, but he's making it's it's the better book. Well, and it's it's also it's universal. It's about yeah. you know it's not just about an old man in the sea. It's it, because Hemingway leaves it open. It's about everyone through all time that's had a hard job to do and that has found that the race doesn't always go to the swift and the battle doesn't always go to the strong. It's 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 the book of Ecclesi- I always say Jane Austen is the book of Proverbs given flesh. This is the book of Ecclesiastes given flesh. And because he's a, he lets it be so simple, it actually becomes universal. Well, yeah, it's about every time in your life where you faced down a difficult or hard job that felt impossible. And did you have what it took to mm-hmm. see it through to the end? Did you make it? How did you get there? How did you persevere? What, what Joe DiMaggio story did you tell yourself right. to get through it? And it captures that. It captures work. I think I don't know that we've read anything besides maybe Levin in that field with the serfs. That just captures a day of work better. Yeah. And so anyone that's worked physical labor, I, I want to even say a spiritual, mental, emotional labor. This book gets at something profound about, especially physical labor, though. If you just worked a long day of any kind of anything, the, then, yeah. What story, like Jake was saying, what stories do you tell yourself? Who are who are your heroes that you conjure up, and what kind yeah. of thoughts go through your head? The way that you, what do you, what's the carrot that you dangle in front of yourself? How do you to get through it? If you're working on a car the car becomes the 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 other character in the drama you stupid car or or the car is your friend you know the same way that he takes the fish and what's the word anthropomorphizes it kind of um you know we always do things like that whether it's in a sport or in a thing it's like the thing takes on a character it becomes our enemy or it becomes our ally or it becomes so the way that he describes all that and especially the Joe DiMaggio stuff yeah the Joe DiMaggio stuff is pretty bittersweet the idea of this guy I mean, Joe DiMaggio had to work really hard to be Joe DiMaggio, and I'm sure it was painful to play baseball through bone spurs, but at the end of the day, he was playing a game for a lot of money right? through a little bit of pain, and he was the inspiration for, and that's part of the, the joke and the bitter irony of it and the beauty of it is Joe DiMaggio's inspiration for this guy going through this stuff out in the middle of 
the ocean off of Cuba or whatever. He has Jadamaggio would never know that, but right. Yeah. Well, and when when I was... and he would be embarrassed, honestly. Mm-hmm. But we all do it, you know. I just, I'm, I'm drawing near to marrying a lady that I love, and one of the things that I was thinking about a lot was Elizabeth Bennett and Mr. Darcy, people that don't exist. I mean, yep. I was thinking about fictional characters, and we do it all the time. I do it well, with yeah. fictional. So, I mean, I do it with you do dumber it with things, dumb things like Marshall. Marvel movies. Exactly. And what would Tony Stark Star Wars, do? Like, yeah. Uh, there was a period of me and Jake's life. I don't. I think we can say this on mic where we were processing a lot of things. I'm sure we'll probably talk about this in our Sandy at the movies Star Wars episodes. Yeah. One way or another. We were processing a lot of what was going on through Star Wars, and it wasn't that we thought Star Wars was great. It was just that it provided the, a handy the set handy of tools. set of metaphors that we had on hand. To deal with it and so we'd, we would literally say things to each other like well luke would do this anakin would do this and it would help us process what we were doing which was uh killing the younglings <laughs> yes um, <laughs> slaughtering. so be like anakin was the, the moral of the story you guys had to do it but if you've i mean <laughs> those little brats had it coming in order to bring back our death whether it's the stories that you tell or yourself or whatever like at the end of the day i mean it doesn't have to be you know your Joe DiMaggio story it it's the story of how you're going to be how you're going to overcome how you're going to provide for your family how you're going to be the best at whatever you're doing right like I think of 14 15 hour days in construction painting while I was going through pastor's college trying to provide for my family I think of running for forever during the summers training for baseball and just having to tell myself over and over and over again to, you know, in order to keep pushing myself, to keep pushing myself faster, to to not cut myself slack, to not let myself slow down, you know, just having to tell myself over and over and over again that this is how you become the best. This is how you, there, there's always somebody bigger, faster, stronger, but the two things that you can control are your attitude and your effort. Mm -hmm. And just telling myself people may be bigger, may be faster, but nobody's going to work harder. Right. Yeah. And I'm going to get whatever edge I can just by pushing, I'm going to push myself that much harder, that much harder, that much harder, that much longer, that much faster. Right. And that's the that's what we, we do to get through those difficult, whether it's a difficult workout or whether it's a long, hard day on the construction site, on the job site. And it's what's so beautifully encapsulated in this, in this story. Well, one thing, especially that you're touching on and that I think Hemingway does brilliantly, which is so relatable for me is, I don't know, I I guess women do this. I don't know what women do, but men. They give birth for hours. Yeah. Women do. Well, I know that women work hard. I'm not saying women don't work hard, (laughs) but there's a specific way that men do it, which is they talk to themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Even the old man is saying things like you stupid old man. Yeah. Now you get back up. And when a man, I assume women are the same. I don't know whether it's different, but I don't know. I just don't know. Women, tweet me. What's the hashtag, Brandon? King David does it and teaches us to do it. Psalm 42. Why are you in despair? Why are you downcast on my soul? Hope in God. I will yet praise him. Right. He will restore, you know, like it models that kind of preaching, talking yourself, but talking yourself through the pains and sorrows and the difficulties that you're facing with faith. Right. With faith. But Hemingway gets at something that's relatable to me, at least, which is I, I always have a certain kind of laconic, like, well... Nathan, you kind of suck, but yeah. you're going to do this anyway. Well, like, like I don't like you right now. You're old. You're stupid. You're fat. You're whatever it is. But here's what you're going to do, and here's how you're going to do it, and here's why you're going to do it, because 
It's it doesn't matter. Whatever, it's whatever get your weakness done. is, whatever the past is, whatever sudden shames or memories come up as you do it, it's like yeah, all right. Now keep doing it. Well, this mm-hmm. is one of my favorite parts of Homer, actually. Mm-hmm. One of the things I actually have learned from Homer and I teach my boys is when uh, Odysseus beats his chest and tells his heart to be brave. Yes. Yeah. That's the same thing you're talking about. Absolutely. I, I tell my son thing. Henry all the time, you can tell your heart to stop whining. Right. Right. Yep. And I try to teach that to my boys that they should be their own motivators and teachers. Yep. You can tell yourself to be brave. Yeah. You have to decide. It's a decision. Right. So it's it's not unfair to say, you know, we talk a lot about the virtues or lack of virtues and the fake it till you make it, the idea of fake it till you make it. Mm-hmm. But the first step of, of facing your fears is deciding to do it. Right. Yeah. Right. It's the first step of courage is to just decide that you're gonna act like you're not afraid. Right. You're just gonna turn and you're gonna face. And it's not that you're not afraid, it's that you've made a decision and you've committed to facing whatever it is. And that is what it is to be courageous, right? Right. Yeah. Well, I think that one of the ways that men do it is by kidding themselves, by teasing their friends, by by just having kind of a, a little bit of a sarcastic attitude about it. And I think yeah. that's what Hemingway gets. Boy, it's not yeah. that the book is sarcastic, but just the way the old man talks to himself has that kind of, all right, you stupid old man to it, which is, I think, to me, at least very relatable. Like that's, that's how you do it. You, you pretend, you don't just pretend that you can do it. You also pretend like it's not that big of a deal and you kind Absolutely. of, you kind of take the cosmic view of it if yep. you can, you know, just yep. like, okay, well. Just one more, one more line, one more paragraph to write, one more. Whatever it is. One more heavy thing to lift, one more stroke of the paintbrush. Yeah, there's a pastor, one of our pastors likes to say, what a man should do is get to the end of the day and say, my work's done, the bills are paid, let's go to bed. He says, that's life, and you just do that again and again and again and again and again, and then you Until die. you die. And I really think there's something to that. Which there's, also, there's also something fatalistic about having, I mean, the thing, when Jake said Psalms, I'm like, yeah, that's the other thing, is that I'm not just in conversation with myself, I'm in conversation with God, which is a goofy way of putting it, maybe, but... No, but that is it. It's That's true. living your life before God as if God exists, as if God sees, as if God is in the boat and God is in the marlin and not in some dumb pantheistic way, but God's superintending all of this. This is an act of faith to hold on to this line. Right. This is, this is and not to make it super spiritual, but to just remember that all of this is from a God who ordered this universe for his glory and the good of his people. And that means me. Right. And so this isn't some dumb fatalistic thing. This is some beautiful act of faith that God's called me to. And it's not futile because I'm out here fighting with, you know, against cosmic forces or against fate. I'm fighting while my father looks on and smiles and says, this is what you're made to do. Right. Well, and the, but the, there's that. And then there's also... The fact that, you know, like like the book of Ecclesiastes so beautifully talks about, there is not ultimate futility, but because we are in a depraved, sinful, post-fall world, there is a a real de- a temporal futility to a lot yeah. of what we do, where it's like, I'm going to do my best, and it's going to fail. Yeah, yeah okay, God had a bigger pur- purpose, but also it's meaningless, gonna, the, meaningless. The sharks are going to eat the marlin, and that was it. That's it. The bones are discarded. Yeah. And in the end, the picture that Hemingway gives us through this old man is pretty heroic in that light because he doesn't despair. He doesn't, he doesn't seem to think that like this is just the existential 
He doesn't go home and kill himself. He He goes home. Kill himself. He goes. Yeah. And he's going to rest up and recover, and then he's going to get back out in his boat. Right. That's what Hemingway leaves you feeling. The the boy is going to weep for him. The old man's not going to weep for himself. That's right. He's not going to cry for himself. The boy will weep for him. The boy will learn the lesson. The boy will become the old man. Right. Someday. Yep. That's great. Yeah. I don't think you can entirely divorce it from the fact, perhaps, that ultimately. No, I agree. But I'm just saying, as far as existential fatalistic responses go this is a good one <laughs> it's not a bad one yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not a bad one and you can i just want to i don't know why but i just want to keep saying that you can this is an easy one to redeem yes i agree well and the reason that existentialism is so attractive is because we do wake up every morning and have it to get so much ourselves. right yeah we have to make a meaning for ourselves every day. And that doesn't mean that there's not ultimate objective meaning in the world. It doesn't mean there's not God. But every day, because I live in the murk of sin and my own failures and the failures and sins of those around me and just this weird, crazy world that we live in, every day you do have to wake up and remind yourself of the meaning and remind yourself. And by God's grace, it's really the Holy Spirit reminding you if you're regenerate. So, you know, don't, this isn't a theology lesson. Let me, let me talk poetically here. But there is something to the fact that every day you get up and you make a new meaning for yourself. And that's what a story like this gets at. And it's it's the reality of our lives, I think. So yeah. and man, there's a lot more that you get out of this book than you do out of old or uh, old mice and the man. Yep, there is. You build a conduit to make people think about this stuff. It's much more interesting than building a conduit that just gives people some answers, <laughs> like what Steinbeck Beck did. Especially Pat ones. Especially Pat. Yes. There's one other thing that I remember that we talked about from the last episode, the Marlin. And I think we just, we talked about the dignity of work, which we've done today. But I think it's important to remember that a lot of literature or poetry or art is just the process of selection. It's the process of what we choose to make or art omission. about. Yeah, selection or, or omission. What we choose to make art about says a lot. And so... One thing, one simple act that's very profound about this book is that Hemingway thought it should be written. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Hemingway thought the story yeah. of this old day laborer who hasn't made much of his life, you know, not not a king in a palace, not 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 one of Shakespeare's heroes or anti-heroes, but just this dude, nothing interesting about him really from a worldly perspective. Hemingway decided this is a story worth telling. As opposed to the infinite number of other stories I could be telling right now, I'm going to tell this one. I, I I don't know why I think that's worth noting, but I think it is worth noting because I think that that's something we don't talk about a lot, but it's very true of any story. Any story by its very existence posits that this thing that I'm about is worth talking about, is worth being about. This is I'm when when you choose to write a book, you are saying this is interesting, and I think it's interesting, and I think yeah. you have something to gain by it. This is worth your time. This is worth your time, yeah. And it was worth, because it was worth mine. It's a simple but profound truth of literature. And then also then the flip side of that is it matters what you give your time to as a reader. Right. You either give your time to this or you give your time to sparkly vampires. Right. Well, it's just, it's a good question to ask yourself. Why why are you giving your, your, I know know this is very simple, but just why are you giving your your time to this instead of that? And what are you trying to get? And why did the author give his time to this or that? What was it that Hemingway thought was so interesting about this old man in the sea? I mean, I think we've answered that question already, but Hemingway thought that this was a, this story is not in and of itself necessarily worth telling. Like you wouldn't, not, not everyone would just look at the story and say, I want to tell that story. But Hemingway did for some reason. And he did. it's interesting. Um, yeah. 
So I don't have anything profound. That right there is a poetic thought. And us on some poetry. Thank you. Thank you, Brandon. I don't know. Is there anything else? Would you guys recommend um, yes. The Old Man of the Sea? Yes. Yep. Definitely. So it gets the, B- the coveted Un- BSOA. Unreserved. Unreserved BSOA. Yeah. Yeah. Any caveats or concerns or people should just read it and benefit thereby? I have no caveats I can think of. Not really, no. My only caveat is if you let it lead you into literally any other Hemling way, you're going to run into a bunch of problems pretty well. quickly. There you go. There's very little Hemingway that I'd say doesn't have some Hills like white elephants. Crap. What's that? Hills like white elephants. Yeah, Hills white. I mean, there's great Hemingway. I'm not, and there's other even longer Hemingway that's good, but I just think you can't. Hemingway is probably one of the authors that I trust the least of anyone we've done on the booking of anyone we've done. I mean, there's authors that we've just said this person's bad, but in terms of the people we've been somewhat positive about, I think Hemingway's one of the ones I'd want people to be the most careful with. Yes, use discernment. Use discernment with Hemingway because his his whole macho vision is... Pretty don't sit much. down and read For Whom the Bell Tolls as a family. <laughs> yeah, no, don't do that. That's a bad idea. <laughs> uh, he's generally pretty, pretty fatalistic. He's misogynist. And I don't know, Hemingway wasn't a big fan of Hemingway. He shot yeah. him. Yeah, he did. So he offed. You know, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I never thought of it that way. <laughs> Even Hemingway didn't like him that much. So <laughs> let's, let's take Hemingway's word for it. He wasn't that great. Um, <laughs> oh, man. What a great way to end. <laughs> All right. Yeah, but we can't end, though. We got to do donor shout outs. Oh, come on. Um, Maybe we should we say that we we can imagine what do we think would be their Marlin? Like, what would they be willing to give their life to chasing? Yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do that. We'll alternate. Brandon, we've got uh, Robert and Rhonda the Lovebirds. What do you think? Without, without a doubt, the Marlin is. Uh, catfish the size of a school bus. There you go. The immortal Chelsea E. What's her Marlin, Jake? A, a catfish the size of a school bus? Is that yeah. what you said? Yeah. Oh. Who do I have? Uh, the immortal Chelsea E. A school bus the size of a catfish, perhaps? Think she'd give her life for that? Probably not. I'll let uh, you answer the question. The immortal Chelsea E. A shooting star. Oh, that's sweet. That is sweet. We love you, Chelsea. That's uh, what you are. Nathan, not me, Brandon. Nathan, not Nathan. Oh, man, I don't know. This is, not, this is hard. <laughs> <laughs> probably a woman. A woman, yeah. He there wants, you go. He probably wants a woman. I don't know. A woman. Uh, One of those mysterious creatures. Yeah, they're weird. They are weird. And sometimes they get eaten by sharks. Yeah, beginning of Jaws. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That woman got eaten by a shark. Uh, Jimmy Beam and little Annie Oakley. What is their Marlin, Jake? A pair of six shooters. pair of six shooters. There There you go. go. Uh, Lily of the Valley, Brandon. Lily of the Valley. uh, A lily. (laughs) Yeah, she probably... It's just that very simple. Uh, A unicorn. A unicorn. There you go. Andrew and Esther the Lovebirds, Jake. Spider. Wow. Whoa. I don't know that I care for that at all. Andrew and Esther could set their sights a little higher and less creepier. The inscrutable Jenny Z. Inscrutable Jenny Z, a basilisk. A basilisk, really? All right. Oh, I'm just going to use Harry Potter creatures. <laughs> that's, that's where I was going. I was thinking of Aragog. Uh, the Keith Master. A horcrux. Whoa. Oh. Sure. Does he want to make a horcrux? Like he wants to divide his soul by murdering somebody and put it into an object? Or does he want to... I, I leave it to the listener to interpret. Uh, yes. Oh, like Hemingway. Yeah. Give them two and two. Two plus two, baby. <laughs> Let them make four. <laughs> John and Jill, the lovebirds. John and Jill, the lovebirds. Uh, a niffler. Sure. David's Mighty Men Trucking. <laughs> I just took that in stride. <laughs> golden Snitch. Yeah. Uh, golden Snitch. Jay and Katie, who are cold in love, 
uh, cheese, Brandon? Dan, Katie, who are cold and love cheese. Uh, one of those horses you can only see if you've seen dead things. A horse you can only see if you've seen dead things. You, see you can only yeah. see it if you see death. You know, the, oh. Those things. One of those things. Are they horses? They're, they're, like, horses. Hor- they're like winged horses, but they're also like yeah, they had living dead winged. The Thanatoses or something. The Thanatoses. Yeah. Um, my beloved mother, Beth. Thanos toes. Thanos toes. Oh, wow. Thanos' is toes, yeah. Toes? Yeah. Not his toast, though. Um, how do you think Thanos likes his toast, Brandon? Oh, well done. <laughs> he probably does like it well done. Yeah. <laughs> he probably likes one half of it to be well done and then one half of it to not be yeah. cooked at all. Yeah. That's probably what it is. Weirdo. Yeah. Thanos is a weirdo. My favorite scene of Thanos in the new one is where he's just in a t-shirt. Getting <laughs> he's making some stuff. The yeah. dumbest fruit in the spikiest yeah. looking fruit. I like to see my heroes just wearing a ratty, or my my villains just wearing a ratty old t-shirt. That was a nice touch. Making some stew. Yeah. Making some stew. Yeah. yeah. How, do you, how do you think Thanos likes his toast, Jake? I don't want to leave you, and I know you've been chomping at the bit probably to answer this question. Uh, he probably just likes it lightly, lightly toasted. Lightly toasted. Interesting. Oh. I don't know what that says about Thanos. Yeah. Oh, man. Adam, I always have trouble remembering what I've given you. We'll call him Adam the Atomic Robot. Wasn't he the Mecha Godzilla? Oh, that's not until next episode, Brandon. Oh. <laughs> he will become the Mecha Godzilla of Doom. Eh, we'll just call him that. So, Adam, we recorded this out of order. You're going to hear us come up with this next week. But, uh, Adam, you are the <clears throat> Golden Mecha Godzilla of Doom. Or something like that. The Golden Mecha Godzilla. Uh, he wants the Infinity Gauntlet. Sure. Why, why wouldn't he? Wouldn't he? Uh, Fletcher, the well-bedraggled wizard of yore, Jake? The Elder Wand. Of course. That yeah. Makes total sense. What do you think would win? The Elder Wand or the, Me- the Infinity Gauntlet? Gauntlet. Yeah, me too. Yeah, the Gauntlet could wipe the floor with anything Harry Potter, unless you had the dumb... Although Hermione's time travel watch... Because could... all got st- uh, destroyed. Yeah, well. Once you've introduced it, then it's pretty hard to unintroduce it, folks. Yeah. Beware, world builders. I just accept that they got unintroduced. There Not go. me. I'm going to be mad at for every single Marvel movie. I will be like, why don't they just go back in time and fix whatever problem from now on? And then I'll say, Nathan, shut up. It's a movie. But I will still, I will have that thought. Emily, E-M-I-L-Y. Emily? Emily, E-M-I-L-Y. It's mine, right? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, Jake did Elder Wand for I don't know. She wants one of those time turny thingies. She wants a time turny thingy. Uh, Fletcher, the well-bedraggled wizard of yore. Well. Wasn't he the Elder Wand? Oh, did I skip? <clears throat> yeah, you're right. I skipped Emily. Sorry, Emily. Right. Uh, Anthony, the artful Anthony Dodger. Uh, what's the light turner outer thing? The yeah. Illuminator or something? The Deluminator. The Deluminator, yeah, of course. He wants one of those. Who won it? That's cool. awesome. Dark Hooded Lord of Death, Jeremy, of course. Dark Hooded Lord of Death, Jeremy. Ooh, this is a, a good one. A brisket tree. <laughs> okay. Cool. <laughs> a tree that just grows briskets. Great. <laughs> You'd be willing to sacrifice for that. Yeah. <laughs> the dark hooded Lord of Death. Um, the incandescent Meredith. A man. Ooh. <laughs> Ow. Okay. I wonder who. Uh, Maya. 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 All right. Next one. <laughs> That's all she ever gets. <laughs> no. Maya gets. Maya needs to know what, what she'd sacrifice for. Uh, oh, oh. She would sacrifice for some sort of magical golden shears that can. Cut hair. Yeah, that's right. She does. She Golden she, shears. Golden shears. I feel like there's hair. a pair of golden. Oh, she wants the fates shears that snip hair so that she can also determine the lives while of, she cuts hairs. There you go. She can end the lives. How many, of, how many lives would she end with just cutting a head of hair? Millions. A lot. That'd yeah. be a Holocaust <laughs> unto itself. <laughs> 
please don't get those shears, Maya. We, we're not fans. The dumb short story where Bradbury. We did it on the podcast. Oh yeah, that's it's right. It's called the Scythe, I think. Yep. Oh, Bradbury. Uh, Rock and Ryan and Judo Judith. N- Nimbus three thousand. Sweet. Danny the dude. Danny the dude. He wants. Danny the dude wants. Ju- he just wants uh, some of those. Gummy, the uh, jelly beans, every flavored jelly bean. Birdie Bots. Yeah, you can buy those at Barnes & Noble, but they don't exist anymore, so. What what are they called? Birdie Bots, every flavored is it, bean. Is it Birdie Bots? Yeah. Yeah, I think like, so. Like, I Very good, I, Nathan. I pulled that. The, the least Harry Potter fluent no, person in the room. It's because you're the biggest fan of us all. Yeah, <laughs> I love my Harry Potter. Uh, DJ Sammy G, Jake. You know, I had one and then I lost it. I got it. One specifically for DJ Sammy G? Yeah, well, I had well, I had whatever was going to be next, and then Pretty Bots boom, boom. Did it just left my mind. There's a book called Chicka Chicka Boom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a, a, vial of, a vial of Felix Felicis. There, there we go. go. What does Felix Felicis do? It's the luck potion. Ah, DJ yes. Sammy G needs to be lucky. Benny and Dana T. Oh, I don't know. A vial of unicorn blood. They can live forever. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Eric and Catherine, the lovebirds, Jake. Coming up dry on it at, at their own personal household. Their own That's personal what I was going to say. Wow. This must have been in the air. <laughs> it's just in the air. <laughs> I thought when I came in here, I smelled a personal household. Duh. Professor. Professor. X and X. Lady X. And Lady X. Oh, they need the key to but Hogwarts. But he, you did it just last week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe I have the time. <laughs> Think of a bobber. Yeah. Uh, what? Uh, sorry. Um, the key to Hogwarts. The key to Hogwarts. Wow. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> It'd be the, like the janitor of Hogwarts yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah. The key to Hogwarts. <laughs> Here's a mop. <laughs> they have janitors. When is J.K. Rowling going to explore that? <laughs> when is she going to put a tweet about how they have some horrible janitor process that oh, involves she's all sorts of things, like apparently transgender wizards or something? Their bathroom processes. They just vanish it. They're with their way wand. Yes. Isn't I'm, that great? I'm aware of that. Do they vanish it from inside their body? I don't know. Because that would be sweet. I've often fantasized about having <laughs> True, actually. Being able to clean yourself out? Well, yeah, not having to go to the bathroom, but just being able to snap my fingers and then whatever was inside me ap- appears in a landfill or something like that. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> yes. Just yeah. cut that process out of your life. Yeah, like we probably should just cut that process out of this podcast. <laughs> That's exactly what I was... <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what we haven't done in a while, guys? Let's give people, let's let's improvise. Before we call this episode, episode uh, quits, let's ad-lib some reviews for people real quick. Let's do it. So one, the one word of the time method always works swimmingly <clears throat> for us. This is a review that you can post on iTunes. Obviously, you give us five stars. And then you say the following. Take it away, Brandon. Wouldn't it be nice if I could not listen to your blather? Ha. <laughs> <laughs> Eat your boots. <laughs> <laughs> and smile. Oh. <laughs> Shakespearean ho. I think he had a different word for Oh, H-O, ho, like onward. Go. Uh, oh, my ho. God. <laughs> <laughs> Why? You scallywag. <laughs> Because you never haven't brushed your friends' big oh molars. 
I'm not under the imperious curse. <laughs> I am by no means under the imperious curse. So, yeah. to, if anybody wants to leave that review, I'd be pretty happy, but let's give people one more. Hey. You. Are. My. Nemesis. <laughs> that. Is. A. Unfortunate. Big. Reality. <laughs> I'm not under the imperious <laughs> Eat. What did you say? Eat macaroni and die. <laughs> Big. <laughs> All right. Obviously, me and Brandon don't know how to start one of these. Let's have Jake start one. <laughs> <coughs> By no means am I under the imperious yes, curse. Yes, 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 yes. Pizza. Pig. Yum. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> no means of my imperious curse. <laughs> well, three to choose from there. <laughs> three different reviews you can leave on iTunes. Five stars. <laughs> I particularly like pizza pig yum. We've <laughs> taken so many ways. <laughs> poetry. That's what Hemingway did. Yes. <laughs> well, Hemingway was the one that it's did the beautiful. six word stories. Stories, right? Didn't he write the yeah. the famous baby, um, shoes. baby shoes never worn? Yeah, yeah. Baby shoes for sale never worn. I think was his his six word short story, yeah. which is a really sad story. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Booking Day was written and produced by your friends at The Booking. Go to patreon.com forward slash The Booking. Sign up for some great rewards and support this podcast. Just support the fine work being done by your friends at Warhorn Media. And get a donor shout out if you want for 10 bucks or lots of other things. 50 bucks gets you a book. And yeah, enjoy your next week. Until next time, folks. Bye. <laughs>